morning, as the children leave, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew in chapter 9. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to this morning as we prepare for our reading. It's only four verses in length, not very long, in the ninth chapter, and we'll get there in just a moment. But uh, before we do that, I share with you that you know this time of the year, it, it, it seems crazy for me to tell you this, but this time of the year, I drive through the countryside like I was last week in my bus, just watching the farmers in the field as they're out there for tractors and they're, you know, they're, they're disking, they're planting, and, and I watch them prepare the soil for the seed, and I, and I watch them and I'm thinking, I envy that. I mean, I, I wish I could be in that tractor in that field doing the same thing they were doing. I mean, it might sound crazy, but I just, I watch them and thinking, that, that could be me. Now, not coincidentally, I should also share with you that when this, as the season goes and the fall comes, it's time for harvest, the same thing kind of happens again. I'll be driving through the, the countryside again, probably August, September. I'll be in the bus. I'll see the, the combine out there with the farmer. He'll be out in the field reaping the harvest, whether it be beans or corn or whatever. And I'm thinking, man, I'd just love to do that. And I'm envious once again that I'm not him. I'm not the farmer. <laughs> but so when you... Even though something is not that great for me, I just relish that, and I'm envious that. I'm thinking, man, I, somehow, some way, I guess, I just an inner desire is just to want to be a farmer. But then I begin to reason maybe a little bit more, and I recognize that God evidently did not intend for me to be a farmer, at least not in the sense of literally preparing fields for crops and Likewise, later in the fall, he's sitting in a combine harvesting the crops. He, he didn't, I guess, have that in, in his mind for me to be able to do in life. So, but, but despite that, I also began to reason that you know, God did intend for me then to be some kind of farmer. I mean, he didn't maybe want me to be in the fields preparing it in the way we see they are now through the countryside after spending hours upon hours after getting ready to plant the corn, the beans, or whatever, but he did mean for me and for all of us then to be a farmer in the sense of preparing soil or hearts of people for planting the seed, which is the gospel, good news of Jesus Christ, and to also then to be a worker to help with the harvest once that seed has taken root, once it has grown, once it matured. He wants all of us really to be a farmer, to be a laborer for the harvest. And that really then is just of the text we read today. It's probably a very familiar text from one that you probably have heard before that encourages the disciples as they're gathered together with Jesus to, to not only be laborers for the harvest, but to also pray for laborers of the harvest. And it may sound odd that Jesus telling his disciples that they need to be praying for laborers of the harvest. So the question before we begin the reading is why? Why would Jesus tell his disciples that they need to also be praying for other laborers of the harvest? And the answer seems to be that very few are willing to do that. Few are willing to be laborers for the harvest, but then the message then for all of us today then is that we as believers, as we also are disciples and Christ followers, that we should be among the willing. The text today, again, is found in Matthew chapter 9. It's, again, a familiar text you probably have heard with. The, the caption in the English Standard Version I'm about to read from simply says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Let us stand together this morning as we read these four verses from Matthew chapter 9. Again, not a lengthy reading by any means, but a text nonetheless so we can apply it to our lives. 
in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Oh, Father, Lord, we do come again before you at this moment, this time, this hour, Lord, praying that the message that we're about to receive today, the text from the, the laborers and the harvest, is something that we could all begin to certainly apply to our lives. Let's recognize our calling today is to be a laborer. A labor, Lord, for whatever way you want us to be, to serve you, to serve others. So allow this message then to be able to sink into our hearts today that somehow, some way, we don't recognize our calling, our duty, our responsibility, that the message today would make it abundantly clear. So Lord, lead and guide and direct us as always. Again, we ask for now a blessing to be upon the reading of your word. Again, Lord, we thank you so much for all the blessings you give to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, notice in the verses preceding the text, we join in in the middle of a particular chapter, chapter 9, yes, but in the middle of this chapter we begin, there's a lot that's already been happening. So allow me to set the context of what's happening here and begin to Matthew's gospel as he leaps into the ninth chapter, particularly of our reading, because Jesus basically is going throughout the Judean countryside. And he's performing now many different miracles and, and heals an assortment of, of many infirmities that people have. In the beginning of this chapter, in verse 2, a paralytic's friend brings him to Jesus, in which Jesus commands the man that you simply pick up his mat and walk. And he does. In verse 18 of the same chapter, a ruler comes to Jesus to let him know that his daughter has died. And the ruler then makes a very bold request to Jesus to restore her life. And remarkably, Jesus does that. The girl comes back to life. In verse 20, a woman who suffered a discharge from blood for 12 years is healed as she simply touches the hem of the garment that he's wearing. In verse 27, two blind men call out to Jesus. Jesus enters their house and instantly restores their sight. In verse 32, shortly before the reading that we had today, a demon-possessed man who was also mute was brought to Jesus. Jesus cast out the demon and heals the man. So suffice it to say then that Matthew is going about in a very systematic manner to paint a picture that Jesus is very busy. Yet yeah, despite the fact that he's very busy performing and healing miracles among many different people, He's doing all that simply because he has love and compassion for the people. In fact, Matthew, we begin our reading toward the latter part of this chapter, verse 35. He starts this section summarizing all the things that Jesus has done. And he says, simply because Jesus has compassion for the people. Look at verse 35. You see he, he's going throughout the villages. He, he's healing, as we mentioned. We've seen all of that earlier in the chapter we kind of briefly touched upon. And it says in verse 36, he has compassion upon them. That's what Jesus is doing. Because his love and compassion he has for people, he is going about performing many different wonders, many different signs and miracles. 
one healing after another. I mean, there's probably healings and miracles we don't even have recorded here, as John alludes to at the end of his chapter of his gospel. But notice something else in verse 35, if you will, that Matthew finds very important to tell us about Jesus' journeys through the countryside throughout Judea. And that is the fact that he was teaching in a synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's not just going about proclaiming the kingdom. He's also performing miracles. But what that means is us is our first point we need to gather from this message today, that Jesus was not a roadshow miracle worker, you know, doing many different signs and wonders, as the text tells us. But also reminds us very quickly that he was a teacher that went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He wouldn't have roadshow miracle worker could find so many different times through that particular era, as you might even find today. He wasn't quite the entertainer. He was about business. He was about taking care of people for love and compassion he had for them. But he also simultaneously taught them and led them into what it meant for the gospel of the kingdom. Now, as we think about that and begin to enter that into our mind and hearts, that wording might just seem a little bit strange to us. Because we think about the kingdom of God or things of that nature, but we don't often word things like the gospel of the kingdom. Because here, Matthew tells us that Jesus is going about proclaiming, teaching the gospel of the kingdom. So we take a brief time out to make sure we understand what the gospel of the kingdom is. And the gospel of the kingdom is basically the same thing we know as the kingdom of God. An example of Jesus teaching the kingdom of God is written in Mark chapter 4. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, as you find that written in Mark talking about the kingdom of God, I mean, yes, it's a parable, similar, if you will, to what we've been talking about on our studies on Wednesday night, talking about parables. But the point of Jesus speaking the parable is to share with the people around him what the secret of the kingdom of God is. And it's not something earth-shattering, the secret of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is that it is only obtained, it is only available through Jesus himself, only through him. I mean, that's what maybe the secret is. It's the, it's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is only available through Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching. That's what he's telling them. Which then, as we think about it, it's not any different than what we should be doing precisely what we are to do and to share what we are to do is to plant the seed because we are farmers. And we should be doing the same thing that Jesus himself is doing. And we look into this text, the text alludes to this truth. I mean, while it's not specifically probably mentioned that we are maybe also planters, it's alluded to in the text. Look again with me. I mean, verse 35, we again talk about how he's going throughout the cities and villages, teaching, preaching about the kingdom of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven. Again, he's healing. Again, the crowds in verse 37, he has compassion on them. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. 
He said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors to the harvest. If you look through that text, I read through it very quickly, but if you look through that, you don't see where he says any particular time throughout all that, that he says we be harvesters, pray for harvesters, pray for laborers. You don't see anything about, hey, we need planters. But it's alluded to there in the fact that you've got to have somebody to be planting before we can do any harvesting. It just makes common sense. So in the text, we can find really embedded that. He's calling us to do both. To be planters as well as being harvesters. Because you can't have any harvesting if there's not any planting and water. When I was a kid, I mean, part of maybe the reason I like farming so much and I go through there maybe envious of the farmers in the field, I know it's long hours and it maybe work that sometimes gets tiresome, but when I was a kid, I would often be in the fields working in Decker or Hazelton. And, I mean, and I always recognized because it started early in the spring, like it is now with the farmers in the field. We weren't doing so much maybe the same thing the farmers are doing now. Technology has changed a lot of things. But when I was younger, I'd be planting strawberries in the strawberry fields in, in Hazelton. Or I'd be planting watermelons and cantaloupes in those fields in Decker, Indiana. So I recognize how anytime you have, you want to harvest fruit, whether it be the strawberry, the watermelon, or the cantaloupe, it all starts with planting. And I was planting in the spring, in the spring and then later in the fall, in the summer months, particularly, we begin to harvest the crop. Some of the watermelons were heavy. I was a little dude back then. I'm not very big now. Some of those watermelons were heavy. But I learned to appreciate the fact that you have to plant to be able to have the harvest. And the text may not say those words exactly, but it's alluding to the fact that we're called to be both. To be planting, maybe come along and do some watering every once in a while, and also to be some harvesting. So in essence, what we really can glean from that text is that we are to simply preach the good news. And this isn't the first time we've heard such a command or such an, a, a reference to how we should be going about preaching the good news, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 8, 28. Now, the 11 disciples, there's only 11 at the time because Judas is no more, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. They saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Remarkably. Verse 18, when Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But then here it comes. At the end of chapter 28, at the end of Matthew's gospel, makes it clear. Jesus tells his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he says, of course, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice in the text, in the end of the Great Commission of Matthew 28, it certainly sees that we see, go therefore, that commanded to be given to 11 disciples who followed Jesus everywhere he went. And it seems to only be given to them in a way that you may read that. But rather, it is actually a command given to all of us. Because all of us are disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of Christ, which makes us then a disciple. And then we also share the same command to go, therefore, and make disciples baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So 
all that means is then it's our responsibility as believers to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came and died for all men, women, and children. For every race, for every gender, for whatever. He came for everyone. Simply said, we are to communicate the gospel of our Lord and Savior. We know this. This is not brand new stuff. But at the same time, we need to review this fact because sometimes it seems to not be happening for whatever reason. So we are to communicate the gospel of our Lord and Savior. So as we hear that, the next question then will be, okay, that's my, that's my duty, that's my responsibility. What exactly is the gospel? I mean, is the gospel simply merely giving someone my testimony? I mean, yeah, I was once lost, now I'm saved. I mean, I had this life before Christ, now I got this life after Christ. Is that simply sharing with them what Christ has done for me in my life? Well, that's a good start. But the gospel is just a little more than that. You know, for in simplicity, we can narrow the components of the gospel to five things, five components in the fact that we can say, well, he came, he died, he arose, he ascended, and he's coming back. He, of course, being Jesus. Jesus Christ came. Yes, he died. He arose from the grave. He ascended thereafter. And remember, he's coming back. There's a cute little way to portray that or draw that on a piece of paper. If you're ever in a conversation with someone, you see behind me a little graphic to be able to see symbolically how we can communicate that truth. Those five little components of the gospel to someone. So that's a cute little way of maybe picturing it for someone with symbols of how we can communicate the gospel to someone. And of course, there's other wonderful evangelistic devices to be used, no matter which way you may prefer. This, have, this is an evangelicue. Now, sometimes use this as well. Evangelicue really is just that. It's an evangelistic cube. But it comes with little instructions there. But the basic premise of it is the fact that you come with imagery to help you present the gospel. And every time you get ready to make a different uh, image, you mean you, it unfolds and allows you to see something else about the gospel. And you can present this then to someone that you may be with. Maybe you use the symbols. Maybe you use called an evangelicue. But there's other methods too. There's a Roman's road, or there is the one called the three circles now, or there's one that's called the gospel tracks. You can hand someone the gospel track and be able to read that to them and share it with them. And there's even the ABCs. I mean, there's all kinds of techniques, all kinds of ways to communicate the gospel. But here's the thing. Whatever you might use to help share the gospel, the important thing to remember at the same time is to simply allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. You and I are merely the kingdom workers, which is what God is looking for as in this particular text for examining today from Matthew chapter 9. He's looking for kingdom workers. And then you and I, our responsibility is to say, yes, Lord, we're going to be a kingdom worker. But as we're the kingdom worker, we have to simply allow the Holy Spirit to work, to do his thing. You cannot physically make someone accept Christ. You can present the word. You can present the good news. Then allow the Holy Spirit to do this work. The other thing to remember as you're presenting the gospel is that we need to be urgent about our witnessing to others. And Scripture is quite clear about the fact that Jesus is set to return, but of course it also tells us in Matthew 24, 36, that no one, 
knows about the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. So then because Jesus comes like a thief in the middle of the night, we need to be urgent and diligent about going about preaching the good news of the kingdom. We must simply proclaim. It's our responsibility. It's our duty. Even further, we have an indebtedness, if we will, to the one who paid the price for you and me. We must simply spread the good news and be like Jesus, have compassion for the lost. Again, we're called to be kingdom workers. We are kingdom workers wherever we are in the world. Whatever our occupation, whatever it may be, we are still kingdom workers. So here's the point. Here's what's driving this home, particularly to recognize those graduates amongst us today, that no matter where you are in life, whether you're graduating from high school, going into high school, graduating college, starting a career, starting a family, don't matter what situation you're in, we're called to be kingdom workers through each step and phase of life. That's our calling. We should recognize that. As I mentioned in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is few. God is looking for kingdom workers. And he's looking for willing kingdom workers. Have you ever heard the 80-20 rule? You know what the 80-20 rule is? If you're in in the workplace, you probably have experienced the 80-20 rule, which means that 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. You ever seen them people that just seem to just get by with doing nothing? John Elpers, who doesn't come here anymore, and he goes to church now in Evansville because of some different health concerns, he used to share with me all the time that when he was was a mechanic, and he said there was a a mechanic he used to work with that just got by with doing nothing. But he always looked busy. You know how he always looked busy? He would take a bunch of wrenches and put them in his pocket, put grease all over himself, and just hurriedly go everywhere he went. He did absolutely nothing. So John was one of the 20% doing 8% of the work. The other dude was just walking around doing nothing. He was the 80% doing absolutely nothing. So everywhere in life, for our college graduates, you're about to experience this if you had already before, you're going to have a certain group of people that do nothing to get paid for it. But then you're going to pay people working all the time like you should be. It's the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. If you're working, you know what I mean. It just happens. It just does. All the time. But here's the thing. The 80-20 rule does not apply to us as kingdom workers. It's our responsibility to be a kingdom worker, and we must give 100% of everything we do. No excuse not to be able to share the gospel is actually acceptable. No excuse is acceptable because we're not 80-20, we're 100% in. What if Jesus had not been 100% in? What if Jesus said, I'm going to be 80-20? I'm only going to die for 20% of the people that are doing 80% of the work. Now, for all of us working, we might think, okay, that was great, that's grand. But for Jesus, he thought, no, not so much. I'm going to die for every man, woman, and child. We as kingdom workers should be 100% in, not making any excuses. Interestingly, in our study last Wednesday night, we got into a parable called the Great Banquet. Basically, the parable is about a a, a master inviting different people to come to this great dinner, this great banquet. 
we started off our discussion Wednesday night with one we talked about before. That what is it called at 6 o'clock in the evening? Is it called supper or is it called dinner? Okay? We got into that discussion as we started. There's this great banquet happening. This great dinner going to be happening to all the people. This master's inviting all kinds of people to come. And we had this first settled debate. Is it called supper or is it called dinner? So which is it? I, here's what I told him. Supper occurs in the evening. Dinner might occur at lunch, but a dinner is some invitation you get invited to you never go to. It's on the invitation. It's some sort of dinner. So here is a dinner. Here's a banquet. Whatever time of day is being given, he's inviting people to come to it. But people are making excuses why they can't come. Listen to verse 18. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Verse 19, another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Verse 20, another said, I just got married so I can't come. So look, three different people give three different excuses, and I suggest to you they're all lame. I mean, look at the first one again. The man bought the field. Think about it. Who buys property without seeing it first? That's idiotic. Kayla and Colton were looking for houses for an entire year. We went through numerous houses. Did we ever walk up on and say, oh, we'll take one that we had seen yet? No. Nobody does that. You go through a house. You look at it. You might even go in the bathroom and use it while you're there at that house. But you go to the house and look at it before you ever purchase it. This man says, I bought a property. Let me go see it. After I bought it, no. Look at the second. The man who bought the oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. I equate this to buying a car or a truck. Who goes to the car lot and don't drive it before you buy it? This guy says, okay, I got this new car. It's four oxen, okay, pretty powerful, and I'm going to go try it out after the fact. No, you drive the car before, all right? Another lame excuse. And a third one, a man just got married. Okay, we'll leave that one alone. That's a different story for a different time. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, just as the parable is suggesting here, people are making excuses of why they can't come, why they can't commit. And, and the point is that, Unfortunately, the same thing begins to apply. We make excuses why we can't witness. We make excuses why we can't share the gospel. We make excuses why we can't even come to church. But kingdom workers don't make excuses. It's like the Latin phrase, carpe diem, they seize the day. They seize the day, they take the opportunity, and they run with it. Which is what you and I must be doing. We are looking, God's looking for kingdom workers. And you say, okay, I hear that. But, you know, it's just not my personality. It's just not my way. It's just I get uncomfortable. I mean, I actually may have the, the nerve to do it, but somebody may turn me down. Or, or someone may make one of these lame excuses you're talking about in this parable. And that's very true. They just might. I mean, I think back on my life, and I, I, I made plenty of excuses. 
before I ever accepted the invitation to come to church. So you heard the story before when we moved to Mississippi, Kayla met a friend named Christy Baxter. And Christy, immediately meeting Kayla, almost like the first situation when they got together, I mean, Christy was going to church at First Baptist in Clinton, Mississippi. And one of the things she did was to Kayla said, hey, you want to come to church with me? Well, we weren't in no way seeking any kind of relationship. We're going to church anywhere. We went to Mississippi, so I mean, Kayla, at least she knew then that she better come and get our permission before she went somewhere. That changed later in life. But she come to us and she said, Mom, Dad, can I go to church with Christy? And our, our, our response was, well, yeah, I mean, you go ahead and go. But then she said, well, you want to go? And I said, mm, no, I don't want to go. I don't need to go to church. If you want to go to church with them, that's fine. I don't need to go. So we're not going. Well, Christy's parents, upon multiple occasions, also asked she not to go to church. Always making up some sort of excuse, whatever it may be. Had to go buy a field, right? Had to go, had to go, had to go look at my car after I bought it. Or I, I was married. That's a good one. Remember to use that one also in life. No. But anyway, we didn't go to church on multiple times we were invited. I can't even stand before you and tell you that I accepted Christ the first time I heard the gospel. Fortunately, it took more than one person who came along and tried to plant that seed. So what that means then is, yeah, we, we need to be kingdom workers going about what we're called to do. And, and, and maybe a little bit nervous and maybe a little bit shy. It may not be in our personality, but we must stay the course. We must be diligent. We've got to have compassion. In verse 36, it tells us Jesus had compassion for the people. They were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that's exactly what it's like. The people are lost, helpless sheep wandering about. Almost like a newborn. A newborn can't do anything for themselves. They have to have someone to help them every moment. And it's like what it is for people who are lost, wandering about. They think they've got it together. But they really don't. They're lost. They're helpless. They're a sheep without a shepherd. And the lost and helpless are all around us. It's people we know. Like maybe part of our family or part of our friends that we have in life. Or maybe our co-workers or people we'll be working with later. And they are sheep without a shepherd wandering aimlessly about life. Just like you and I were at some point in life. Before we were saved, before we accepted Jesus Christ, we were those lost souls wandering about. Now think about that. I also think about the fact, for, fortunately, as we were lost souls wandering about, sheep without a shepherd, fortunately, for you and me, someone was a kingdom worker. Someone was a farmer planting the seed. Maybe even another kingdom worker came by and fertilized or did some watering. And possibly another kingdom worker even came by at the right moment when the seed began to take root, began to mature. And all of a sudden it was time to harvest. And fortunately for all of us, people were willing to be kingdom workers to bring us to the Lord. And suddenly we were no longer lost wondering about. We must be the kingdom worker and have compassion on the crowds of lost souls in the world, our city, wherever we are. 
taking advantage of every outreach opportunity that's given to us. Because Jesus is looking for a few workers to help the cause. In verse 37 and 38, he makes this clear. I mean, after Jesus made his point about the lost sheep and how we should have compassion, as he did, notice how he really gets to the meat of what he wants to say in verse 37 and 38. He said again to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. As you hear that, let me ask you, is Jesus calling you to the fields? The harvest field is large. The mission field is worldwide, of course. And there are lost sheep everywhere. God calls the workers. He calls me and you to be the workers into his harvest field. If you ever walk through the church, you may have noticed before, we have two signs in the sanctuary, I mean, in the fellowship area. There's one as you're coming in. If you come in that door, not this door, but come in the sanctuary, this hallway. If you come in the other door, go in the fellowship area, you notice a sign above the doorway? You know what it says? Enter to worship. If you leave, if you go back in the, if you get ready to leave today, go back that way and go out. There's another sign as you get ready to go out in this opposite direction, give me go out. There's another sign above the doorway. You know what it says? Depart to serve. Enter to worship. Depart to serve. The field is set for us. It's available. It's large. It's immense. And the field could include your neighbor, your co-worker. I mean, it may not be that you're called like Heather and Rachel serving in Laos. It may not be that you're called to go there. But nonetheless, we're still a missionary. Where you are, God has you for a purpose, and he wants you to be the kingdom worker fulfilling that purpose he has for you. Everybody in this room is different. The M&Ms was a great example. They're all same on the inside. We're all we're cured by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're saved by the blood. We're all the same inside because we're saved by the blood of Christ. But we're all different on the outside. But everybody then has a very specific purpose, a very specific gift and talent. So the question really becomes, as we sign up now to be the kingdom worker that we know we're supposed to be, are you willing to use your gift, your talent, your education, your passion? Are you willing to use it to further the kingdom? My, my prayer is that this church, that all of us, that God would equip us and prepare us to do the work he's commanded us to do. That we're all together in the church body together. We're all family doing kingdom work. We're all kingdom workers together. I mean, I love every outreach opportunity we have. or Every outreach endeavor gives us a moment where we can share the gospel. Do with every person that comes in? Maybe not. But are we trying to love them and share the compassion that Jesus has for lost people at the same time? Yes, we are. Whether it's a yard sale we're about to have, whether it's a sweet corn festival parade that may come up later when Dan and Mary were invited to come to church, they accepted and came, they're part of our family. Whether it's VBS like it was when Kimberly and Tyler came and Daniel to be part of our family. I mean, VBS is the biggest outreach opportunity that exists. Sadly, some churches just don't even do vacation Bible school. And it's the greatest outreach opportunity that's available. We're about to do that in a few months. Actually, next month, about the third, fourth week, coming up pretty quick. So whether it's Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving, all the different things we do, the prom justice, every bit of everything we do, all the outreach opportunities 
is all for Him, not for us to be able to share the good news, the gospel. So we're all together, then we recognize how we here are kingdom workers. Unless we diligent about being the kingdom worker for every outreach opportunity we have. God, God expects us then, as Christians, as believers, as followers, as disciples, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. We must let our light shine for everyone to see. We must be a kingdom worker. Our church and us as individuals, we have a place in the field. Every one of us is a worker. Every one of us is a farmer that God has chosen for someone in your life. Someone, you're placed around someone that God wants you to be that farmer. So today, the message should be clear. When you get ready to leave, you can leave out that door and see how it says the part to serve. Then you can get in your car, your truck, wherever you came in today. Maybe go get something to eat. I beg you, drive through the countryside later today. It's been raining, so you may not find as many farmers in the field. But just drive through the countryside and see the seed that's been planted. You see the corn getting ready to come up or the beans coming up. You can already see that. Just drive through the countryside and see and watch the farmers who may be in the field preparing and planting the seed and to recognize how that must be me and you. We are also farmers, kingdom workers, planting the seed of the secret of the kingdom of heaven. What is the secret of the kingdom of heaven? Only two words. Only Jesus. Plant the seed. Be the kingdom worker that God wants you to be. Wherever you are in life, every step and every phase. Father, Lord, thank you for the message today as it gives our purpose and meaning clear. We pray, Lord, today we receive that meaning. Go about fulfilling the purpose we have. Let us today sign up to be kingdom workers. Lord, I'm thankful personally, Lord, to be part of a church that recognizes our calling, to recognize the fact that we are to be witnesses for you. Lord, let's also recognize then as we're witnessing for you, it's not maybe just the words that we say, but it's the actions that we have. And sometimes those actions are speaking much louder than even the words. So let's recognize today as we're kingdom workers, as our actions and our words that can be able to give people the love of Jesus. Lord, so thank you again for the message we have here today. It's not just for our graduates, Lord, it's for all of us to recognize we have the responsibility no matter where we are in life, to be the kingdom worker. But you get the glory for all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.